Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling! Magnificent all round! Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang! And the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. One of the most gripping first weeks of finals in recent memory as the Cats and Swans progress to the preliminary finals, the Tigers and also the Western Bulldogs grand finalists of last year bowed out. And big matches on the horizon. We'll take you through it all on the Al and Lingy show. Welcome to you, Cameron Ling. Oh, great to be with you, Al. Oh, what a weekend. What a number. I'm exhausted as we sit here on a Sunday night trying to take that all in. Uh, just by watching footy, I'm exhausted. I hate to think what the players are feeling right, like right now. It was just a brilliant four games to start this final series. They were all brutal. They were all skillful. They were all thrilling. They all had twists and turns and lead changes galore. Oh, it was so fun. I loved it. Let's get stuck into it. Now, to prevent a Geelong appreciation hour, we thought we'd better balance things up with the other side of the equation when it comes to prelim finals. And Jude Bolton, Premiership player with the Swans, is with us as well. G'day, Bolts. Uh, thanks, Al Lingy. Appreciate a bit of balance. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about this, I think, rightly being the best start to a final series since 1994 when you had that drawn final and then the extra time between Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Billy Brownless kicks the goal after the siren to, to beat Footscray. West Coast and Collingwood played a match that was decided by only two points and, and the only blowout, if you could call it that, was Melbourne beating Carlton by 27 points. So what a round of football. Don't really know where to begin. Um, I think we start with the Sydney Swans because we've been talking a lot in recent weeks about how They've quietly gone about their business. Everyone then started taking notice, I think, when they beat Collingwood the way that they did that. And they've continued on. They've now won eight in a row. And, Jude, to my eye, it looked like they were able to beat Melbourne in the areas of the game that are Melbourne's strength, typically. Yeah, absolutely, Al. I think um, yeah, their, their profile really stands up, particularly in those fierce sort of contests like it became. It was a real arm wrestle after the initial you know, flurry from Melbourne. I thought Melbourne probably got the, the game on their terms initially around the contest, but uh, Sydney's willingness to put pressure on them, and it just got better by the, by the minute um, in that second half particularly. That, their their uh, lust and thirst for the contest was just evident, and it sort of... Um, it really suffocated the ball use for, um, of, of uh, Melbourne and um, they really struggled to move it inside 50 with, with real energy. Has this happened more quickly than you would have expected, this rise of the Swans with these youngsters coming through that John Longmire blooded over the course of the last few seasons? It has. I, know, I think we've seen, seen elements of it, but I think just the... Just the age profile, I was just expecting just a lot more inconsistency and, and probably early on the year we saw a little bit of it, but they've been really um, playing at a high level and consistently high level for a while. And the guys, the likes of Chad Warner and you know Nick Blakey and those types of players, um, Errol Gould and 
Yeah, they're, they're really consistent, and I think um, I think they've, they've they've now got the a sense that their their best is good enough. So that it's like a red rag to a bull, isn't it, Lingy? When you when you get a, a, yeah. a sniff of um, you know potential success and having a bit of experience around you to say, guys, you've got something special here. So I mean. You know, they, 12 months ago, they were in that elimination final against uh, um, uh, GWS. They kicked Pauly in the final quarter, um, and then they really sort of had to knuckle down over the, over the uh, preseason. But they're a really close group and a huge upside over the next couple of years. Bolt, so I understand this is almost like the chicken and the egg question, which one comes first, about which one's more important. But recruiting versus development, about how Sydney can just constantly be this really great club, always around about the mark. Yep, a little dip, blood some younger guys, build back and straight back into uh, to a preliminary final and who knows what else um, beyond that prelim final. But you go through some of the drafts that they've just nailed recently. Um, you know, 2016 was Florent and Hayward. Papley was in 2015. Then you've got Warner and Stevens in 2019. You've got Robottom in 2018. You've got McDonald. He's 2020. Tom McCartan is another one in 2018. And McInerney, another one in 2019. I mean, that's a core of, what are we talking, five, eight, ten players there mm. who've been picked up in the last half a dozen or so drafts. I mean, how does Sydney so consistently get either the recruiting or the development so right and is it simply a case of they both they do both exceptionally well? Or where's if you if you were to give it 51 49 one way, what does Sydney nail more perfectly? Uh, probably I'd be leaning yeah, 40, 60. I think they they nail their picks, they absolutely do. But the development of once they're there, and I guess they invest in people. That's what's been shown. And Sydney's been a place where they have been able to recycle players and make them better, better forward. I think the the idea that Paddy McCartan could come in and have a year that he's had um, where literally there was uh, a moment where he was just stuck in the hub. He was, he, he almost missed the border closure between, uh, you know, New South Wales or the Victorian border and, um, and Queensland. And he ended up getting on that side and stayed with the players in the hub. And they went, you know, look, let's get him in the reserves and let's get him going. And, um, He's been phenomenal, and that's that development. Saying, "Look, we're going to look at our needs analysis. Where do we? Where's he going to be best fit? And let's let's put the effort and time into him." And he's been phenomenal in defence. So, uh, you know, Kenny Beatson and the recruiting team—they don't—they don't miss, and they—they—they they, they love going through those um, sort of recycled players as well and trying to find them. But you've got to have a position to then develop them there. And and a great example of that too is Tom Hickey. From, from the game on Friday night, all year. But he's playing against the best ruckman in the competition in Max Gorn. And then the, the combination of Luke Jackson as well, who's the best young forward slash ruckman, exciting potential, whatever you want to describe him as. Hickey was just huge. And it's strange to think, what, this is his fourth club. Uh, and, I mean, what a pick. What yeah. a... Just that to find the right person for the right fit and ask him to do that job and do it so well. When he was picked up, I put my hand up and thought, oh, look, it's probably a good backup for Sam Naismith while he's been down with the the knee injuries and things. So, you know, a serviceable player. But 
his craft and his smarts to be able to get involved in the chain, particularly when you've got guys like Goulden or uh, Stevens coming off half back and just needing an outlet. He, he finds space. He's able to work off Ruckman. He he has no right to to be you know pushing back and really you know competing with the likes of say Gorn and uh, Jackson. But he did it with a plum on the weekend. It was was fantastic. What did you make of the byplay um, out on the ground? Obviously, there was a big target on the back of Stephen May. There was a feeling <laughs> clearly the Swans felt they could get under his skin and agitate him and take him off his game. And as much as Buddy Franklin, I think, sucked the umpire in, that that little moment in the game felt like a turning point. The momentum was with Melbourne. And then all of a sudden, Sydney got on a bit of a roll and, and May was incensed. And mm. that seemed quite premeditated, Jude. Yeah, it, it did. I think I... I I get the sense that they wanted to sort of. They, they, I think the players certainly realised that he was on top of uh, Franklin in in that sort of matchup. Um, but those sort of two little moments, and and it was they were soft free kicks. Absolutely, I didn't think they were, there was much in them. But it brought Papley into the game. It brought those other players that suddenly, you know, lift a lift a, uh, a little bit of their energy and and uh, um, you know thirst for the contest. And then they got into it. So uh, from that sort of moment, it was a bit of a turning point. They sort of started to control the play around the middle. Um, and obviously Petrarca was was hindered. Um, but they they sort of took control of the game from there. So what does it mean for Melbourne in your eyes, Lingy? Where are Melbourne now? Are their chances badly dented? Simon Goodwin, reflecting on it, essentially said we always needed to win the three games to win the premiership. So we've got three games now to to win the premiership. But Petrarca's injury, I mean, he is going to be able to play. Have you experienced people playing with that type of injury before? How encumbered is he going to be? And and more broadly, as I say, where is Melbourne now and, and where does that loss leave them, do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. First on Petrarca, I mean, I think, and I don't know if it's exactly the same, but I'm my mind goes straight to Nat Fife uh, in that I think he played in a prelim with a crack in his leg yep. and made the grand final, and he just wasn't quite the Nat Fife of that season. It may, I hope I'm not getting my years mixed up, but it feels like it was maybe his Brownlow medal year. It was a Brown because remember he was at the Brownlow on the yes, walking stick. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's going to have an impact. It's great that he's going to be able to play. To hear that he's got a crack in the bone, you think, oh, gee, you can't play. But great that he's going to. But you just don't think he could quite be the same Petrarca. My biggest worry for Melbourne, um, and I don't know if you feel the same as this, Bolt, is they're, they're playing right now with their best players still playing at somewhere or at their peak. Clayton Oliver was superb on Friday night. Stephen May played one of the best defenders games you'll see. He's completely destroyed Buddy in 16 intercept possessions. Massive game. Petrarca was a bit hampered, but was still very, very good. So it's not like they've lost a game and all their biggest, most influential superstars have had quiet games and you go, ah, it'll be all right. They won't play two bad games in a row. They'll bounce back and away we go. They lost in the end, quite convincingly, with their best players still playing brilliant games. So that's concerning for me. It means that they got absolutely nothing out of their bottom six to eight players. So it's got to come from them. And I'm less certain about them finding something. So the Melbourne team that won the premiership last year was 22 contributors. They were right there. Every single player was locked in and great form playing a great role for the team. 
right now it's reliant on their big dogs. Their big dogs are performing and it's still not leading to wins. So that's where I become really concerned about Melbourne. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little bit in the same boat. I think um, just their offensive profile at times just seems a bit lacking. Um, you know, it, it does fall on the likes of Fridge to have a big game. They do rely heavily on the midfield goals. Clayton Oliver pushed forward and, and kicked a couple on the weekend. But if if Petrarca is hindered into that, you know, next uh, the semi-final, you know, where, where are those additional goals going to come from? And, um, yeah, as, uh, you know, Melksham didn't have the game, even though he had a little bit more defensive role inside forward 50. Um, yeah, just a bit of a watch. I'm, I'm, I'm always mindful that the the losing qualifying final generally bounces back in a big way. And, and Brisbane have been the bunnies for uh, uh, for Melbourne this year. They've beaten them twice in the back half of the year and, and convincingly. So um, they'll need to, uh, you know, get, be mindful of that when they, they step up. And yeah, 64 having, points was the margin at the MCG and 58 points at the Gabba in the final round, Lingy. I, 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 and having said everything Bolts has just said, they're spot on. I, I still think they take care of Brisbane, no worries. <laughs> uh, yep. I think this is, this is, you see Geelong in the, in the prelim final. But if we're talking about Melbourne's premiership chances, um, that's where the doubts come. Uh, can they beat Geelong in the prelim? If they do, can they win the premiership? Um, that's my question marks now, that there's just not enough contributors in really good form across that group. But I still certainly think they've got enough there to win this week. A couple of the key images that left an impression from the opening week of the finals, and we'll get to Brisbane in a little bit, but Chris Fagan's smiles and celebrations and the passion overpouring at the end of that match with Richmond. And then it was a little bit off screen. You had to really train your eye to see it, but Chris Scott going to Gary Rowan in the rooms just before they sung the song and giving him the biggest embrace, knowing that the the pressure had been on him. He's a much maligned player when it comes to finals for his failures previously. I seem to recall maybe my co-host suggesting he should never play a final again for Geelong because he couldn't <laughs> be trusted to do so, Lingy. But he's produced his Herculean performance, took quite rightly described by Luke Darcy as a Wayne Carey-like pack mark. And he did have a nervous moment very late in the game. But Gary Rowan's uh, impact in that match for Geelong was profound and that match itself was just an amazing contest between two great sides played in front of a pulsating crowd, 92,000 people at the MCG. Geelong pulled the right rein there, Lingy, pushing for that final to be played in the twilight at the G on a, on a Saturday. All round, that was just a superb final. It really was, Al. It was, and the atmosphere there was phenomenal. I was there with my kids. Um, it was just a great experience to be a part of. And, even at one time early on in the game, Max, my eldest son, turned to me and he said, I, I don't like Collingwood kicking goals, but gee, it's amazing how loud their crowd is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know what? It was just, it was brilliant. Um, and the Collingwood fans, they they bring their full voice and they are, they provide that incredible atmosphere. And um, the Geelong fans were there in force. It, it was a great day, evening to be at the MCG. And, and clearly... Very, very happy with the result that topped it off. I had three very happy kids in the car on the way home. But, um, yeah, you're right about Gary Rowan. It's it's a really good story. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I freely admit that the frustrations in the past with his performance in finals and um, and his contribution hasn't been there. And, and unfortunately, it's, it was the same at Sydney. It, it's just a fact. But for him to have that resilience, to get through that, and for Chris Scott and the coaching group to say, okay, we're going to back you in again because 
I know they'll never admit this and never never be public with it, but surely they even had to have one or two percent of doubt thinking, hang on, is it, you know, is it gonna happen all over again? And they went with him, they backed him in, and boy did he deliver. Uh, that was a, a really great performance by him. That that mark and that goal, that was a monster. That was a huge point in the game. Um, he he deserves all the credit he gets this week because that took a lot of mental strength to just stand up and push all of those past performances in finals aside and deliver on a massive stage. So well done to him. Yeah, I think yeah, it also is- showed the changing nature of, of the Cats too, Jude. If you look at... Geelong, poor record in first weeks of finals. Gary Rowan, poor record in finals, full stop. The Cats, a team that's changed its game style, mm. playing in a completely different way. And it was almost franked by those moments on the weekend with, with Rowan and their own performance, sort of suggesting that they, what we all thought was the case, they are really legitimate and something different this time around as they chase the premiership. Yeah, absolutely. They're different. I think, um, you know, we've spoken a little bit before around De Koning in defence and then, you know, but I loved Tom Atkins' game in the middle. Um, just his ability to, you know, just fiercely, um, you know, win that hard ball, bring it forward. But he just had some moments that just opened up bits of play and elements of play in that tough, hard game. And he was he was pivotal for him. And, you know, we've spoken, uh, Jeremy Cameron, I guess, just as well. Just, uh, you know, you, these these are these are validating moments of key players. And um, so I'm pleased, yeah, super pleased for Gary Rowan. Um, and I did like the way, you know, Chris Scott really went in to defend and backed him in. Um, and much like, uh, you know, Chris Fagan as well, he bristled when, talk, when people spoke about the finals record. But, you know, you are searching for those key wins to validate um, your your own record and the way you want to play. And it's the management too, Lingy. We've seen it with Patrick Dangerfield, the way they've managed his injury to make sure he is as physically good as he can be for a finals series and even the management of Joel Selwood. So I think he was the player that spent the least amount of time on the ground for Geelong, but he was playing pure impact minutes. His 38th final, so the prelim final will be his 39th. He'll equal Michael Tuck. And then if the Cats make the grand final, it'll be 40 finals for Joel Selwood, which is a record. So there's been tweaks to the game plan and then the management success of, of players as well and roles that have changed and Atkins getting more time. And when Atkins came off, Selwood went, went on it. They really, yeah, to me, have just looked like this is such a well-oiled, well-planned machine, this Geelong footy club. Yeah, and and a willingness to, and this is where Chris Scott deserves a lot of credit, a willingness to embrace those different ideas and, and change of plan. I mean, Chris Scott continued to front up with a game plan that was successful. People can people can attack it however you like, but success can't be just defined as simply the one team that wins a premiership. He had a game plan that made a prelim final last year. The year before that, it was a grand final. The year before that, it was a prelim final. It's been top four for so It's worked. So you can't blame him for thinking it's the right plan but we just need to do it a little bit better for a little bit longer in those big games and it's going to get there. And and almost to his own detriment, to the tiniest bit, I mean this, because it, they ultimately didn't quite get there, he kept backing it in and backing um, the plan in. Now to come in and, and think, okay, in the off-season, righto, let's embrace some new ideas, some new changes. James Kelly comes in as an assistant coach, got a couple of ideas about some of the ball movement, an idea about Tom Atkins going to the middle of the ground, 
Um, they start talking about, you know, Paddy Dangerfield, can he miss four or five weeks in the middle of the season? Three years ago, that would have been ridiculous. They would have, nah, he'll get through. He'll be right. We might rest him for one week. Th- these new thoughts and new ideas um, that Chris Scott's embraced and come up with himself and, and really pushed the, the creative thinking of the group, um, they're seeing the rewards from that. And we, they play a fantastic style of football. It's really attractive. You know, the other thing, I, I was talking to a Collingwood supporter. Now, this this could be because of the fact I was in the glow of a terrific win. But <laughs> I said, apart from the fact I don't want them to beat you long, I hope Collingwood just keeps on going through this final series because they are an absolute pleasure to watch. They just take it on. They are brave in every element, defensively, offensively. They do it with us almost with a smile. They play with this energy. Um, and watching both those styles go at it at the G in front of a packed house, it was just a joy to be there. I, I mean, yeah. I, I honestly, and again, I can cop it for the fact that I can say all this after the Cats have won, Collingwood are bloody good to watch. Mm. They are fantastic. So hopefully they go even deeper into these finals and we get to watch them plenty of times. The great thing is they they really do throw the the you know, stat sheets out. It's all around belief, trust in each other. They each you know, have little elements of cameos at different stages. Um, we saw Ash Johnson go back and just laconically slot one from the boundary. And you know the Dacos brothers, we we've um, we've really relished the way that they've they've stepped up this year as well. Um, what did you make of the post match comments of Craig McRae around the players' response to losing? Um, he didn't like it. He called it out. So he addressed the players and said, you know, we're winners. I don't want to see you flopping on the ground when we've lost a match and we're still in contention. Did you like that response from him? It was interesting he said it publicly for me, Lingy. I thought um, I'm big on body language as well. I think, you you know, you sort of carry yourself and shake hands, look look your opponent in the eye, win, lose, lose or draw, and, and you get off and that sort of stuff. So I can understand he's probably he's probably worried about the visual. Um he was, he was strong on it. He was super strong. And for him to say that publicly, oh, that, that's the sort of thing maybe a, a coach says behind closed doors. But to take it and, you know, go with it at the uh, press conference, I, I thought it's obviously really irked him, which he, he is. He's a winner. He's a proven winner. And he's, uh, he's shown that. I was and Just another quick one, Lee. It's, a, it's another insight into the authenticism of Craig McRae. So yeah. he says what he feels. So he'll give you an honest response to a question. It's, it's kind of what's defined his first year as a coach, I reckon. He, he really is great for this game, Craig McRae. <laughs> He's fantastic. Um, I, I was a little surprised, like Bolts, publicly. But I just wonder, Bolts, if it's him sending a message. He, he would have spoken about it behind closed to the players and the assistant coaches. You know, those team meetings generally have the 23 players, maybe five coaches and the GM of foot. Maybe there's 32 people in the room, 35 in that room, in that meeting room. Mm. And then there's everybody else is left out of that. I wonder if it was just a little message to the entire club. So the the, the admin staff, to the, to the membership team, the, everyone around that may have an interaction with players between now and the next game, do not for one second speak or behave like a loser and be doom and gloom and everything. This is about we're winners and we're still in this and Mm. the way we go. You think that was the type of message he was trying to push out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think if he can turn up on the Monday, you know, 
recovery done for the players and you go in for the meetings and they're already in the mindset of being focused and, you know, on winning the next game, it, it does half the job for him, you know. So I guess taking that opportunity to, to put it publicly start, sets the message and sets the tone for the week. Uh, Jordan Dugowie, shoulder injuries, had scans. Word is that no structural damage there, so that's good news coming out of Collingwood. Um, I went to Perth. I did what was an extraordinary game. It felt like early on that we'd been gifted the one dud final of the weekend, <laughs> of the opening weekend, and then it turned on its head. The dogs got out by 41 points, looked electric, as they can the Western Bulldogs, and this is a bit of a, an ongoing issue for them, that they can look so good and then get cut apart the other way and, and the momentum can turn so quickly for them. And they were so disappointed with the way they finished that game. But firstly, credit to Fremantle. Justin Longmuir spoke of the growing maturity in this group, the fact that they could find a way back almost brick by brick initially, but then completely overpower the Western Bulldogs in the way that they did. And those young leaders, those young midfielders in that team, obviously Walters was such a key part of it, but... Amos did his bit in the forward line. In the middle, Brayshaw and Sarong were, they just picked that team up and said, come with me. I think I think we saw the elevation of Caleb Sarong into that conversation with, or we, we rave about lots of other young midfielders and quite rightly so as they're, you know, they're, they're the ones and, and Andy Brayshaw certainly amongst that. Um, Sam Walsh, all of those types of players as they're, you know, that, either up there with the best mids in the game or they're going to be. Caleb Sarong is in that conversation. And he's been doing it all year, hasn't he, Bolt? But that was just a reminder to all of those back, especially back here in Victoria a little bit, who don't get to see Frio heaps live um, in person, that Caleb Sarong deserves to be right there amongst that group. He was unbelievable. But particularly being able to flip the game when Bontempelli had been so... Uh, prominent. You've had 100 champion data ranking points to halftime. They they had the game completely on their terms. And yeah, I, I just I loved the, the ability of Sarong and, and Brayshaw to just push back and let's let's grind this out and actually find a way. Those three goals before halftime were so critical to bring the to bring uh, the crowd into it to give some of those younger types a little bit more confidence. And then. They just all get on the back of it. I thought, um, you know, Driscoll later on and, um, you know, the speed of Frederick and and those types of players was just, uh, was really evident. Bolts, you young know. is a beauty as well. Absolute yeah. beautiful yeah. reader of the game. He is an outstanding young player. Bolts, you know this so well, so I, I don't need to say it to you, but, you know, everybody talks about, um, I'll ask the question, what's the difference between, finals and home and away games and yes the intensity goes up more on the line everything like that but you know what's what are the more sort of the intangibles of the difference between the two and it for me it's always been that in a final every single little moment matters every single little decision you make it might seem like the most insignificant nothing little skill error or skill execution, um, bad decision or good decision. And it might seem so minor that it shouldn't matter. And so in home and away games, it doesn't matter, but it does in finals. And those three goals that they gave up the dogs before half time was that entire game. They let the door back open. They could have cr- had the spirits of Fremantle crushed going into half time without those. And just little times where it was this, oh, that probably doesn't matter. You know, we're dominating mm. by so much. In finals, 
It does. Absolutely. Now, it's happened all across history. You look at the goals that West Coast kicked in the 2018 grand final when Collingwood are out of the blocks dominating and, you know, these things are magnified in such a such a way. But I also look at finals and I always think, you know, almost like you play in this almost tunnel vision. You feel like everything just closes in on you. Um, so the ones that can have that time and space, be able to scan really quickly, make clear decision, decisions um, because the crowd's on top of you, your, your mind is racing so fast. Um, so having clarity in those key moments uh, um, is just really powerful in, in finals footy. So the Dockers now play Collingwood in the second week of the finals at the MCG. They only played there once this year, the Dockers. They knocked off Melbourne. So that's a reasonable form guide. They only lost two games on the road this year, Fremantle. Drew with Richmond in Melbourne as well. So they come with no fear, and that should be another exceptional game of football, Collingwood and Fremantle, to decide who goes through to the prelim final. And uh, the winner of that match goes through to take on... They're not the Sydney side, are they? They are the Sydney side. Yeah, so Sydney, it'll be yep. Sydney. Yeah, Sydney yep. at the SCG. So we'd be back to where we were in round 23, potentially, with a, a big game between Collingwood and Sydney. Or we might see Fridney, a Fremantle go to Sydney to take them on. The Western Bulldogs are a really interesting case. I look at that list and I look at the age demographic and you think, how does this team not win a premiership in the next few years with what they've got? Aaron Norton's only 22 and now mm. you have... Jamara Hagen's taking steps this year. Sam Darcy looks like he's going to be a brilliant player. Guys like Bonton Pelly and Bailey Smith and McRae are still relatively young players as well. Tim English is a young player. We know their back line's a little deficient. They're going to get Jones in there. The, the lob decision, the recruiting of lob still mystifies me. I'm not quite sure how that works or where he plays. But is there something else at play here with the Western Bulldogs? What, why are they... Why are they having these lapses? That that loss sort of seemed to completely demonstrate their entire year in a nutshell, really. Yeah, well, for me, their back half has always been a little bit suspect. And if their midfield doesn't have complete game on their terms, well, then it opens you up to, to being scored against. And yeah, I, I think they're rightly being questioned around just being a little bit downhill skiing in that sense. Like the, the midfield, when it's on their... You know, fair weather football is that it's when it's in your, the ball's in your hand and you're going forward, you can actually um, really, you know, uh, hurt opposition teams. But if your defense is a little bit suspect, you need to be running both ways. And I, I'd question whether, you know, they were running um, as strong as they needed to defensively on the weekend. Well, and adding to that, someone needs to explain to me. It's, it's- are you saying, Al, the Rory Lobb deal, it's a done deal? It's just- well, the way they're talking about it, certainly Rory Lobb, because of his partner situation, I understand is definitely out of Western Australia and coming back to Melbourne. And and the word is that the Western Bulldogs are the destination. So I, I, don't I, I just don't see where that think, fits structurally. I think Sam Darcy, his elevation, just these last couple of games, might have them just not a little bit hesitant, but just... I have a bit of a question mark around structure. I'd be whacking that uh, that truck in reverse in a second, Bolts, and uh, mm. getting out of that deal. I mean, mm. what, where? Where do you put him? I, I mean, Tim English is your ruckman um, and looks outstanding. He's only going to get better every single year. Um, Al mentioned Norton, Jamari Eugle, Hagen, Sam Darcy. Darcy probably plays down back if he wanted to. Um, Liam Jones comes in as a key defender. You don't need another tall. That midfield, as good as it might be, I think you need 
they either need to be trained up to have that balance in their game of it's not all about just hunt the ball, hunt the ball, hunt the ball possession. You know, the two-way running and that real commitment to when you don't have the ball in your hands, um, the, the, the defending the ground better mentality, spend the money. You know, why, why are you going to let Josh Dunkley walk out the door if that, they're not going to let him walk out the door, sorry, but why does Dunkley end up potentially leaving um, because maybe you've spent the money on a Rory Lobb. I, I think keeping a Dunkley there would be very important. Um, adding another element to um, complement the defensive work of the game, and that's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a defender. It can be a defensive type mid, whatever it is. That's money better spent than bringing in a player who you've already seemed to have covered well and truly in those positions. And if you play him ahead of Darcy or Eugle Hagen, you're just taking games away from them. And if any team this whole year and the last five years, the Sydney Swans have shown us the importance of getting games into young players as often and as early as possible, because now you get the payoff. And now they're in a prelim final because those young guys played and they played every week. You've got to get 60 to 100 games in those young players yeah. and get that. They suddenly realise they're bona fide footballers by that stage. And that was the telling thing with Longmire as he was prepared to sacrifice a couple of years potentially to go back a little bit to, to surge quickly by not just blooding a few players here and there, but, you know, eight, nine players getting opportunity to play games of AFL footy and, and they're benefiting from it now. Go back to Thursday night, Brisbane-Richmond, another thriller started with a fair degree of conjecture controversy around the... There's always been discussion, would... <laughs> You know, the arc have an impact, a goal review have an impact on a, a final or, or a grand final either, and, either and, and, it, and it did. Um, I have to say, naked eye, I thought the ball had gone across the face. Tom Lynch wasn't sure. Goal umpire, was he sure or what he, did he just feel compelled to make some sort of determination? Because it seemed procedural. The, the outcry was around the procedure more than anything mm. else here. The, the goal umpire, you had to have clear-cut, uh, confident decision to overturn what had been said by the goal umpire on the ground. So you needed complete evidence to overturn that decision. And there clearly wasn't that. And the rapid nature of the decision was, was quite surprising as well. So where in your mind, just quickly, does it leave the goal review? There have been suggestions that it should go. Um, others on the other side say, well, it, it has largely eliminated the howlers. Do we just have to accept that this is imperfect or do we need to scrap it? Well, I'll jump in there, Lingy. I, for me, I think it, 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 the, the arc serves a great purpose in those ones where it maybe grazes the post or, or I didn't quite catch it, whether it went on either side of the, the post. Like, I just think if it's, if it's gone above the post, that is the goal umpire's best opportunity to make a decision. Trust the umpire's decision, we move on. I don't think I was completely baffled once they sent it up. I was thinking, well, this is not overturned. This is a goal. And then... The, the fact that it came down and said it was definitive, I was just like, in my, I don't know, I just read it completely wrong, but uh, couldn't believe it. No, I, spot on, Belt. Now, you, you, I, I think, you, can we just get a recording of that, Alan, send that to the AFL? That's, <laughs> that's a perfect, the, the, the idea that, first of all, I'm with you. I thought it was a point off the boot, but then the procedure to end up with an overturning, I disagree with completely because there wasn't definitive proof. Hmm. But Bolter's suggestion is exactly as it should be. If we, we don't have the technology to accurately say what's happening above the posts, we don't. We don't have lasers. 
We don't have um, Ronald Reagan's Star Wars protection system up in the sky somewhere. Do you see there? a drone above it? Do you see the drone? Or so? I don't know. But at the moment, it's not there. These are the silly things, though, lads. I mean, it doesn't actually, it's as funny as it all sounds, what you're proposing doesn't sound that outlandish, nor that expensive necessarily. Surely there is a way of doing this more effectively than what we're doing at the moment. For goodness sake, you could give it to a grade 10 videography class and they'd come up with a better system. And if, if there is that, Al, then let's have it. And then everything above the post we use the technology for, but we don't have it. So therefore, Bolts's solution is, is spot on. It's the umpire's call there. And we go back to the good old days where the umpire gets in his best position as he possibly can. He gets the angle. He looks up. He does everything he possibly can. And he makes a call and we back it in. Anything below the post where we've got the technology and we can spot that howler where mm. now I, I was the beneficiary of this, but the 09 grand final, Tom Hawkins Quick kick. Hit, hits yeah. the post. It's let's use the technology to overrule that one. The one is it on the line with the mark or the or the, over the line? Well, they get those right, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. obvious to everyone. That's yeah. why we shouldn't be scrapping the technology. I think no. like yeah. we've, got, we've got it at our hands. Let the empires benefit from having that as their um, their go to in those situations. But other than that, I think it's then then trust the umpire when it's those ones above the post. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there. I think if we've got some form of technology that can improve the decision-making, let's use it, but maybe we don't use it in scenarios where, and that falls back to, I guess, the individual who made the decision in such a clear-cut manner. And it's clear that they had no access to any footage that was any clearer than what we were seeing. So how on earth you reached that determination? Perhaps it's a, a case of human error. Uh, Lockie Neal was absolutely dominant and... I was surprised that as much as Richmond put defensive heat on him, it, he has, it has been proven that you can take Lockie Neal out of the game. He might still have a lot of the ball, but you can really blunt his impact. No one blunted his impact for Richmond. I was surprised. And, and I think when he plays Melbourne this weekend, he's going to get, well, this Friday night, he's going to get so much more severe attention from the opposition than he got from Richmond. Lingy, you, you're one of the best tag taggers in the game. I mean, was he afforded too much space at, at the stoppage? I think there wasn't that like fierce body work when the ball was at the highest point at the stoppages, surely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so, Bolts. I, I think he, he's just, he's so good uh, and he's so influential to his team. I, I think you have to, you have to lock him away. Um, it, you have to put that, uh, he, he, he's amazing at just hunting the ball and he's, his fast feet and his agility just to hunt and get it and, and, and keep going to it. He's great. But if you really put emphasis on locking him away at Dobbage and you just give him no room and there's, yeah, there is fierce body pressure on him and everything like that and you're throwing him under the Ruckman's feet and you're just making it really hard for him. All Richmond really had to do was turn 15 clearances, which is phenomenal to think he got that mm. many, into... 10 or 11 clearances, which is still incredible. Mm. And Richmond win the game. And they win the game by maybe two goals. He, what he does is he brings in six or seven other players and he turns their games from above average games into good games or good games into very good games. He's the one who elevates six or eight players around him because of everything that he does. His influence is monstrous. So... Put him away. You can't let not every 
not every team is built in a way where one player is so pivotal to everything they do in the middle of the ground. But at Brisbane, Lockie Neal is just so complete with what he does around stoppages that he's one you, you have to put the time into. Uh, no doubt whatsoever Melbourne will be doing that with him. I'm assuming it would be James Harms if um, have we heard his harms? Has he been? Yeah, no, he got off, it's so they'd, the, they'd be the relieved that that was deemed fine. as yeah, just a yeah. finable offence. So that's good news for for Melbourne. Um, what about harms, Richmond then? Sorry, harms goes straight to Neil. Just got to say that because they won't, yeah. they won't, they they cannot let Lockie Neil have thirty nine touches and fifteen clearances. You turn that into turn that into twenty four touches and six clearances. Still a very good game of football, by the way. And that goes a long way to beating Brisbane, yeah. a long, long way. So Richmond uh, want to stiffen up its midfield, obviously, and Cochin, I think probably Cochin certainly demonstrated this year that he deserves another season, and I think he'll play on. And Jack Rewatt, I think, is in the same boat. Uh, but this long-term deal to get Tim, Tim Taranto to the Tigers, so seven years on good money. There was a bit of a, a reaction from some that that was... All big deals tend to attract this sort of reaction, really, that it's it's too much. It's too much of a risk. But for a player like Taranto and the role that he can play for Richmond, what did both of you think? Oh, to extract any player out of a club, you know, when they're when they're highly regarded, there's always going to be you know more money to move. And um, he's you know he's got that element of wanting to go back home. So you know the bigger clubs will will be chasing him. And Collingwood were interested as well, but. Um, no, I think it's a smart play with, with Cochin at the, the latter end of his career, and um, you know, I think I think it's a it's a, a really smart move to be able to bring someone of that ilk in, particularly when Shane Edwards is you know, finishing up on those players. Yeah, and it's trying to capitalise on a window, isn't it, Bolt? So, so right now they've they've still got Tom Lynch, one of the best key forwards in a, in the game. Shea Bolton's arguably right <laughs> the way he finished the year, the best player in the game. Um, most explosive. Presti is still in his prime. You know, their back line is still very good with Broad and Floston and, and these types of players. So they, I mean, Baker's a star, Short's a star. Like they've actually got a window of good players. You're not just bringing him in when they're, they've either slidden completely and they need to totally rebuild. It'd be a waste of time bringing a player in like that just to give them a little bump when they've got to get games into players. Um, or if they were already at the top of their game and they want to keep their prime list together, then you, you're breaking your salary cap a little bit. This is maximising a window, and I think it's a smart move. Um, I, I think with Koch, yes, he's done enough to go on next year and certainly make that choice. But with Taranto coming in and Bolton's impact and pressure and all that, if he does play on next year, it will mean a lot less midfield time for him. Um, so perhaps needs to think of other creative ways to impact the game. Uh, and, but it's it's no longer going to be reliant on Trent Cochin or Jack Rewald if they both choose to play on next year. It's that next bracket. And bringing a Taranto into that is a, is a great move. He's a fantastic player. So Dusty Martin, just a quick one on him. In terms of that. Uh, Sorry, saw, that, saw, saw that in Sydney in terms of Josh Kennedy's role. You know, when the, the merging midfielders come in and, you know, they, they do command more more midfield time. You've got to try and recreate yourself a little bit. And, yeah, I'm a little bit with Lingy in that sense that, you know, Trent Cotchin will have to find that other space where, okay, how can I still be really valuable to the team and play some sort of role outside of the square? 
You've got your ear to the ground there, mate. On Josh Kennedy, have you heard anything about how his recovery is progressing and whether there could be that possibility of a fairy tale on grand final day? Obviously, he would. I think everyone would think he would be the substitute if he did get the opportunity. Yeah, so he's. Uh, I spoke to him on, down the rooms after the game, and he's just he's coming along well, but you know, just doing everything he can, just keeping that dream alive. Um, but. I think he's you know well aware of the way the team's performing as well. It's always hard to break into um, sides that are, that are performing well, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd have a similar outlook in that sense of uh, you know he'd be perfect if a sub you know role or something like that to maybe come in and and have a, a a last quarter where you're needing to win clearances or something like that in a big final. Dustin Martin, I was going to say, have, coming back from the kidney injury, obviously had a, a delayed start to things, and then tail end of the year got injured. Uh, and couldn't have the impact this year that we're used to seeing him have. And then there are questions around how badly he wants to to play AFL football and, and even speculation around whether he'll be at Richmond. I think it is, if he's playing on, it'll be at Richmond. Do we have to accept that, that Dustin is not going to be contributing to the level? I'm not saying he can contribute to the level that he did when he won every award in 2017, but can he still be a dominant player for Richmond or is he going to be more of a you know, a, a good, solid player who can still do exceptional things from time to time? Yeah, from my aspect, I think he just needs a big preseason, And just like you, every every player, particularly when you're, you know, in the latter stages of your career, you've got to have a full preseason to give you the best opportunity to have a strong output. So if he has that under his belt, I think he can still be a really strong contributor. Um, so it'll be wait wait and see over this, over this Christmas period and, and holiday period. I think he can. I think he can still be a very, very good player. Um, uh, Bolts is right. It's amazing what a, a freshness of a break um, and a break where he can travel to now. You know, the world's back open a bit. Just get away, clear the head, and then feel good about yourself in a preseason. Just feeling fit and healthy again, and um, and covering the ground while well, you you just find that motivation. But also as that. Let's let's just assume for a second they do land Tim Taranto if if that's okay to assume, and then um, you know Bolton continues on his progression. All those players I named just before, it doesn't all land on Dusty. Then it's it's Dusty becomes becomes um, what did what did David um, David Mundy say about Nat Five to us Al? Where the it was, sprinkles on the top of the cake, yeah, <laughs> in, instead of having to be the cake himself all the time. Um, Dusty's a pretty bloody delicious bunch of sprinkles on top of a cake, isn't he? He's well decorated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he can he can just he can impact games and he can do what he does without having to be everything. Um, and that that as well, I think, could be pretty liberating for him. And he can just go out there and play with a carefree nature. I, 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 I still think there's there's another chap to be chapter to be written in Dusty's career. I like I, the I sound of that. Particularly we know how strong one-on-one he is inside forward 50. I I would hate for you know a small defender to come <laughs> down and go, okay, I'm, I'm isolated with Dusty in the goal square or you know, just out the 20 metres out the front of the, the goal, goal mount. So, yep. All right, just a quick uh, to wrap up. Let's get your, your thoughts on the coming week. Live and free on 7 starting Friday night. Brisbane comes to Melbourne to take on the Ds at the MCG and then the Saturday night clash is Collingwood at the MCG against the Fremantle Dockers. Can you make a case in any way for Brisbane or have you completely written them off, both of you? 
I haven't written I haven't written them off completely because of what they delivered on Thursday night. It was a superb performance. I will be tipping Melbourne, um, and I I believe Melbourne have got the ability to bounce back. Um, but it's not just going to be a, a nice easy one. The um, the reigning premiers just bounce back and away they go. I think Brisbane will test them, but I think ultimately Melbourne will just be too strong for them. Yeah, I'm a little bit in the same boat. I think, uh, yeah, you'd have to have an incredible game from the likes of Charlie Cameron and, and the key forwards um, to really test that defence because I think the midfield will bounce back um, in a big way. And, and they've shown that they have had um, Brisbane in their pocket uh, this, this latter half of the year. So I think they'll go in with a lot of confidence to, to continue that form. And Bolts, uh, Saturday night, Collingwood and Fremantle, where do you, where do you think that one's going? Look, it's. I'm leaning towards Collingwood. I think um, their their depth across the field, um, ability to play on the, you know, in front of those deafening crowds. It'll be another massive crowd cheering Collingwood on. Um, but the speed of Fremantle, if they can get some speed on the footy, um, Frederick Walker, those types of players could be could be interesting. So. Um, I'd want to make it pretty chaotic if I was a Fremantle to try and sort of just open them up a little bit, but I'll be tipping Collingwood. I'll be tipping Collingwood as well. My worry is Taylor Adams. And if Jordan Degoe is worse than what we thought um, and there's anything there, if they were to lose Adams Degoe, that's a big combination to lose. Um, I, I still think they can win. And, um, and I do think the Pies win. But after such a brutal game and, and to just have that almost emotional letdown of that loss um, on Saturday against the Cats, they've got to find a way to, to grip the teeth and bounce back from that. Maybe, well, certainly uh, we're all assuming Taylor Adams is done, but it looked nasty. Um, let's hope to go. He's not. I thought to go, he was superb on Saturday. Uh, he's He was so clean. Uh, like he's, yeah, it was a, a fantastic finals game. I just hope, I just hope, uh, you know, I, I've been quick to jump on the fact, can everybody stop anointing Jordan Degoe as, you know, the, the Dusty Martin and all this sort of stuff that everyone wanted to carry on, pay him a million bucks a year. It was all way too early. Jordan Degoe never deserved that because he just never played consistently great football, truly great football. But this year, if we can just somehow wipe off that off-field stuff, this year, it feels like the penny has dropped about the way he plays footy. His impact consistently through the middle of the ground and forward half of the ground all year has been another, a level he hasn't been to yet on a consistent basis. He, he has been brilliant all season. He was, he was superb on, on Saturday against the Cats, what, 26 touches, two goals, and just huge impact. I hope Jordan gets everything else right and, and learns that professional lifestyle because his next four or five years, if that continues on the trajectory it is, he could get to that realm of uh, all those greats that we talk about. He's not there yet and I don't, I don't want anyone jumping there too quick, but he, he can if he plays like this every single week because that was a great performance. Um, I, I know I've moved on quickly, Al, from your original question. I'll be tipping the pies. Um, but I am worried about those couple of little injury concerns. Fair call, Lingy. Great chatting to both of you, Jude Bolton. Thanks for jumping on. And Cameron Ling, you two can just <laughs> casually put your feet up this weekend and watch the others go at it as your two teams are safely through to prelims and one win away from the biggest day of the year. Good chatting, lads. Thanks a lot.
Cheers, Al. Thanks, Thanks Al. See you in a couple of weeks, folks. Yeah, I hope those teams <laughs> just bash each other up a little bit this weekend. We'll see. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.